It was about 50 A.D. when the Apostle Paul began his second missionary journey. This journey would take him through what we now know as Turkey, across the Aegean Sea into Greece. Along the way, he had many interesting experiences. When he started in Turkey, he wanted to go north towards the Black Sea. But God prevented him. We don't know how he did it, but somehow God prevented him from going north and kept pushing him more and more to the west until finally he came to a city called Troas. Troas was a city on the coast of the Aegean Sea at the most westerly end of Turkey. While there, waiting to determine God's next plan for him, he had a vision. And in the vision he saw a man of Macedonia, that was the northern part of Greece, calling to him saying, Paul, come over here. Come over here. So Paul spoke with his associates and companions of his vision and they together decided that must have come from God giving him direction and they with him to go into Macedonia. So they skirted around the Aegean Sea and came to Philippi. Philippi, he was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. God performed a miracle there and sent an earthquake which released all of the prisoners from prison. And he was released by the prisoner, by the prison keeper. And he left there and he came to the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was also a small city, a port city on the Aegean Sea, a city comprised of Jews and Greeks both, an immoral city, a city that specialized in satisfying human passions and lusts. They worshipped idols. And when Paul came there to present the gospel, the Spirit of God moved in a mighty way and many of them came to faith in Christ. He left Thessalonica and traversed on down into Greece, and ultimately he came to the city of Corinth. While in Corinth, he remembered his friends and believers back in Thessalonica, and of their concerns, and of the immorality around them in their community and in their city. And he wrote, back to them First and Second Thessalonians we won't look at Second Thessalonians tonight, today we'll just look at the one passage in First Thessalonians chapter 4 while in Corinth Paul wrote this back to his friends at Thessalonica reminding them of things he had taught them while there with them I'll read the few verses that we read a few moments ago together, I'll read them again because they focus our attention upon the reminder that Paul sent to them in this letter. We read, finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more. 
For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. As Paul wrote back to them this reminder of what he had told them while he ministered to them there, he identifies for them the desire of God. He said, God has a will for you. Now that word will can be interpreted in many ways. On this occasion, in this setting, it means desire. God desires for you that you walk and live in sanctification, in holiness. Now in a recent study we examined this word sanctification and its meaning. It means set-apartness, consecration, dedication. It means holiness, separation from So Paul reminded his friends back in Thessalonica of what he had told them while there and now he sends another reminder to them. God desires that you walk in holiness. Not like the world around you. The world around you lives according to its passions and its lusts and its conveniences. Don't live that way. God desires that you live set apart from that. Consecrated unto God. Set apart unto Him. Holy in your lifestyle and in your walk. And then he goes on from there and he says, Abstain. Not only does God desire that you walk in holiness... But he says, abstain from it. I remember as a youth, the great popular question that teenagers would ask came something like this. Can I still be a Christian and go to movies? Can I still be a Christian and dance? Can I still be a Christian and have an unsaved boyfriend or girlfriend? Can I still be a Christian? And you could fill in the blank. A long list of questions. Can I still be a Christian and, essence, live like the world? Live like the world about me? The culture and society about me? Can I still be a Christian and live like that? Paul used a very strong word here when he said abstain. Because this word abstain literally means reject. Reject that which goes on around you. Get far away from it. 
Don't see how close you can come to it. See how far away from it you can get. That's the literal meaning of it. In fact, it is the word that describes the prodigal son. As he found himself in a distant land, living among the pigs, thinking of his father's home a long ways away. Abstain. Abstain from the cultural practices of your day. Don't see how close you can come to it. See how far away from it you can become. And then he also cautions them regarding self-control. Control yourself. Don't allow your own passions and your own lusts to dictate your life and the way in which you live. Control yourself. Control those promptings and those desires and those urges. Suppress them. Don't yield to them. God desires a holy life for His children. Then we read on a little further that Paul in reminding them of how they should live, he says, God has not called you to impurity. He's called you to holiness. He's called you to sanctification. He's called you to a set-apart lifestyle. Different from the culture about you. One that you have dedicated to God. Holy. This does not appear as a new command from God in scriptures. As you will recall, I remind you frequently of how God plans things at the start. When he created the world, how did he create Adam and Eve when he first created them? Righteous, holy, without sin. And he intended for them to live that way. And to spread that lifestyle throughout all the earth. But they rejected God's desire for them. They yielded to the temptation from the serpent. And they rebelled against God. And they sinned and ate the fruit that God had forbidden. God in His grace and in His mercy made a promise to them. I will send the seed of the woman who will come and crush and defeat the serpent. That promise gave encouragement to Adam and to Eve and stood as encouragement for many centuries for men and women who lived in that time that God would make provision for them. Somehow God would send a man who would come and bring them victory over the evil one. We saw also how God called Abraham and the children of Israel and he brought them to Mount Sinai and he met with them there and renewing with them a covenant that he had made with Abraham. If you will follow me and obey me, I will make of you a holy nation. And then God described to them holiness in practice. We call it the Ten Commandments. Holiness 
listed and described for us by God. Throughout the centuries, even into our day, we have failed to maintain and obey that simple law. God in His grace and in His mercy again made provision for sinners like you and me in sending His Son. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to come and inhabit human flesh. God in humanity, recreating human life. Life anew. Life once again holy. Life once again righteous in all of its aspects. As the Lord Jesus lived his life in obedience to God's demands and God's desires, he then became a sacrifice on behalf of people like you and me, who could not and cannot fulfill that law. He fulfilled it on behalf of people like you and me as a substitute. And when he went to the cross and died, he did not die because of any sin inherent within him. But he became a curse for us, the scriptures tell us. That by our believing in him, we might obtain eternal life. Jesus himself said, God sent me to do this. I came in order to fulfill his will. The Lord Jesus made a promise. He said, I will depart and go back to the Father but I will send another comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit who will come and the Holy Spirit will take up residence within you. And those of you who love me and obey me and follow me, the Father and I will also come and take up our residence within you. God now making it possible for us to live a holy, righteous life. Not by our own strength, but by the power of God living within us and the Spirit of God enabling us to walk as God desires us to walk. We now live in that age that many describe as the age of the Spirit. The time in between the Lord Jesus living on earth and the consummation of all things. We don't know when that time will arrive. In the meantime, we have the Spirit of God living within us, giving to those of us who have trusted Christ the ability to walk as God desires us to walk, holy and righteous. And that will, that will go on until the consummation. At the consummation, when the Father closes all things, it describes for us that new heaven, that new earth, that new city, and how do the scriptures describe it? Holy. Without sin. Without defect. Without illness. Without death. Without sorrow. Holy. So this call that Paul described to his friends at Thessalonica didn't come to them as something new, unusual. For God had called his people for centuries 
to walk in holiness. Paul sent this letter to remind them of God's call upon their lives. We see in verse number 8, it gives us a therefore. Someone used to say, wherefore the therefore? Why the therefore? The therefore gives us now our direction. Tells us now how, because of what went prior to it, now what we should do. And Paul issues a warning to his friends. He actually warned them twice. He he warns them in verse number 6, Don't transgress against your brother because the Lord is the avenger. He's the one who avenges your sin against your brother and your sister when you live an immoral life. When you fail to walk in holiness in in your life with your neighbors and your friends and your brothers and your sisters and the Lord. The Lord is the avenger. But he wraps it all up with one final warning. And he said, those of you who disregard this, those of you who fail to pay attention to the warnings and the direction and the teaching that I just gave you, you don't disregard me. You disregard God. And in the process, you disregard the Spirit of God whom God gives. A very solemn warning. A serious reminder that when we reject God's warnings and counsels to us, we will suffer the consequences. We will experience the consequences of our disobedience and our failure to walk in holiness as God desires us to walk. Now the scriptures have this same direction given in a variety of different places. A few studies prior to this one, we examined how when we come to faith in Christ, when we place our trust upon Him, when we call upon Him as our Lord and Savior, God counts us holy. He assigns it to our account, paid in full. We stand before God in Christ, our substitute, holy. But you and I know, in our daily lives... We fall short of that, don't we? We find in our daily experience that we often have times in our lives when we do not walk and live in a holy lifestyle at all. And Paul is reminding us of that very aspect of our lives. That in our daily walk, we should experience progress. Sounds very simple, doesn't it? When we walk, we make progress, don't we? We go from a start to a finish. We started our couch and we end up in the kitchen. We started our apartment and we take a walk throughout the complex and we make progress. That's walk. Paul wants his friends at Thessalonica to know the Christian experience he likens to a walk. 
we make progress. We become progressively holy. More of our lives we consecrate and dedicate to God and we set apart to Him. As the Spirit of God enables us and as He teaches us and as He convicts us of those aspects of our lives that violate God's desires for us and we turn from them, we become increasingly holy in our walk with the Lord. Does that describe you? Does that describe your walk with God? It should. If you claim the name of Christ, if you claim that you have become a Christian, a new creature in Christ, you should have a change in your life now from what it used to be. And you ought to experience growth throughout your life. Paul said, if you disregard this, you're not disregarding me. You're disregarding God. And you have rejected the work of the Spirit of God who can bring into your life that which God desires from you and enables you to walk progressively more holy. Did you notice Paul saying it's good, you're walking with the Lord now, but do it more. Do it more. More and more and more should describe your walk. What conclusions can we draw? One very simple conclusion. Because God desires that we live and walk in holiness. Therefore, we as children of God must walk in holiness. The scriptures do not describe a life of holiness as an option. It doesn't describe it as it would be nice if you did. It doesn't say if you really want to be a super duper Christian, you will try and walk as a holy child of God. It doesn't describe it that way. It describes it as a call, as the desire of God for each of us who have come to faith in Christ. God desires of us a holy, sanctified set apart, dedicated, consecrated life unto God. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, you have already discovered if you have attempted to do it on your own, you can't. You have failed. Because the human nature fights the Spirit of God. They fight. They fight over control of your passions and your lusts and your desires. They fight. Well, how do we do it? Well, we must recognize God's call and desire for us. He desires for us to walk in holiness. He desires that of you. If you have called upon Christ and you have trusted Him, that's what He desires of you. You say, well, I'm old. I remember a few years ago going to a football game on a beautiful fall day with a friend. And as we walked towards the stadium to go to the game, we passed two elderly gentlemen 
I'm being polite when I call them elderly gentlemen. They were barely shuffling. Just barely moving. And as we passed them, I said, Isn't it a beautiful day today? And instantly, one of them responded, It's a great day for committing adultery. Ah, temptation doesn't know an age barrier. The temptation to yield to the desires of our culture about us and of what we observe on television and the movies and we read in magazines and books, those temptations still come at us, regardless of our age. It doesn't get easier. Regardless of our age, we must recognize God's desire and plan for us to walk in holiness. Then as the Spirit of God convicts us of our failures, we repent. Now for some of us, maybe you've never called upon Christ. Maybe you've never trusted Him. You've heard about Him. You know about Easter, you know about Christmas, you celebrate it, you give money to the church, you've attempted to live a good lifestyle, tried to be a good neighbor and a good friend, an honest businessman, honest in your relationships with your neighbors and friends, but you've never trusted Christ. Jesus made it very simple. He said, repent and believe. Repent. Turn from self-dependence, self-righteousness. Turn from it. Trust me as your substitute. And what I accomplished in my life, in my death, in my resurrection, in my ascension to the right hand of the Father, trust that. And I will give to you new life. Eternal life. But whether you need to start with repentance or whether you as a child of God need to repent of the sin and your failure to walk with the Lord, we need to repent and turn from our sin. We need to regard God's desire for us. Heed it. Respond to it. Conform to it. And then as Paul implies in that verse number 8 about giving the Holy Spirit to us, Jesus promised that the Spirit of God would guide us into the truth. The Spirit of God would enable us to walk in the truth. The Spirit of God would, would point out in our lives where we have failed so that we can then turn from it and respond to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives that we might walk and holiness and increasingly becoming more and more holy as we rely upon the Spirit of God to enable us to fulfill God's desire for us we become progressively more holy and satisfy God's desires for us where do you find yourself at the very beginning, perhaps? 
never having turned the first time to trust in Christ, today would mark a good day to do that. Or somewhere along the path in your life walking with the Lord, I would remind you as Paul reminded his friends in Thessalonica, you've heard these things. I didn't bring anything to you brand new this morning. You've heard them. Have you followed them? Have you rejected them as Paul warned his friends not to do? I urge you, whether at the beginning or somewhere along the line in progression, that you repent and turn and regard God's desire for you. Trust His Spirit to enable you to resist, to suppress, to deny the temptations of our human passions and instead to walk by the power of the Spirit in holiness. I pray that the Spirit of God will come to your life today and bring about these truths in living reality in your lives. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and reminder to us through Paul to his friends at Thessalonica. May we heed his reminder and his warning to us. And may we yield to the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to enable us to walk in holiness as you desire from us as your children. And we will give to you Praise and glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for what you accomplish by the work of your Spirit in our lives. Amen.